This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is time for the Sweet 16 edition of BetQLU presented by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Bet up to $600 risk-free. Open a BetMGM account and use bonus code ELI600. That is ELI600, and your first bet is totally risk-free, up to $600. BetMGM offers the ultimate sports betting experience with innovative parlay selection features, special odds boosts, daily promotions, and much, much more. Turn game day into payday at BetMGM. Download the app and sign up today with promo code ELI600. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. And of course, BetQLU is a presentation of BetQL, which helps you beat the sports books and is the first ever college basketball betting podcast brought to you by BetQL. Myself, Eli Herskovich, at Eli Herskovich, the Tom Casale on Twitter, Tom Casale, and Reed Wallach, at Reed Wallach on Twitter, back with us for the first time since Selection Sunday. Now, Tom, I see your beard and your hair is pretty grown out. So what's going on there? What's going on with the look today? I haven't had a chance. Uh, you know, you two, you're younger. You got girlfriends. I'm older. I got a wife. She's used to this nonsense during March Madness. So uh, tomorrow I'm taking it down. I'm shaving. I'm shaving my head back to normal. It's uh, it's. I know it's nice out because some idiot is mowing his lawn. I mean, imagine that. One nice day and you're mowing. It's going to snow three days from now. So, yeah, I got to get in a summer mode. I'm kind of with his wife. I don't get why he won't grow it out a little bit more. No, I think you might want to keep it, though, after such a hot first weekend. You know, you know, victory beard almost, a playoff beard type vibe where you keep it going until a losing streak comes. You know, I feel like you, you might change up the mojo a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would have, but um, I bet Colorado. So that uh, <laughs> when you when you bet Colorado, it's time to shave. <laughs> yeah, Tom and I went 12 and 1 combined over the first two days, three days, and then we four days, actually, with the first four. And then we lost all three bats on Monday. So that wasn't very fun. Yeah, we've. I think we've all done well for the first four days of the tournament. We've had a nice run here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm satisfied. Hey, Reed hit Florida State. So clearly there was a competition that wasn't a competition between <laughs> Tom and, and Reed for Colorado, Florida State in the round of 32. But we're going to hit on Florida State, Michigan. We're going to hit on every single Sweet 16 game in the uh, first ever Sweet 16 edition of the BetQLU podcast. But first, I want to bring this up because... Even though we all probably don't have any take on this or a thought in terms of a bet we would make, let's quickly hit on college basketball title features. I see no value in the board. If, if anyone wants to bet a, a title feature, go with the money line rollover process. That's just me. But at BetMGM, Gonzaga is plus 150 to win the title. Baylor plus 450. Michigan plus 900. Houston is plus 900 as well. Alabama, uh, 10 to 1. Loyola, Chicago, 14 to 1. Arkansas, 16 to 1, Florida State 20 to 1, Creighton 25 to 1, USC 25 to 1 as well, Villanova and Oregon both 30 to 1, 
Syracuse 30 to 1 as well. Uh, UCLA 50 to 1. Oregon State, that same price. And Oral Roberts uh, is 100 to 1. Any sort of value in any of those teams or money line rollover for a team specifically that you're looking at? No, I, you know, I have Arkansas at 100 to 1 and Alabama at 70 to 1. So I'm going to roll with those, see if anything hits. If you said to me, what team would you take a shot on at that number? Maybe USC at 25 to 1. You know, they're playing well. They'll get it. If they beat Oregon, they get a shot at Gonzaga. So if they win that game, I think they win it all. But I, I don't see much value on the board here. Reed, what about you? Yeah, it, it's tough to take a team that's not Gonzaga. The, the value is just not there anymore. Plus one, 150, you said? They, yeah, plus 150. Yeah, they, to me, it's like you said, if you like a team, I guess maybe an open parlay and keep rolling them over. But the value has been sucked out of these just because Gonzaga is so, in my opinion, head and shoulders above. And then I guess Baylor, too. And plus, you know, right behind them, there's just no value there. The only team I would consider, and it's, I think they open at around the same price, maybe 30 to one if you're thinking about a book in Vegas, which there is an MGM property out in Vegas, going back to the beginning of college basketball season when the futures were released. Florida State at 20 to one is intriguing. Now, we're, we all like Alabama. Alabama has a cakewalk of a matchup that we'll get to on Sunday, at least to me, with UCLA and the Sweet 16. But Florida State could cause some issues for Michigan, and we'll hit on that game in a little bit. Seminoles have the athleticism and the depth to go up against the Gonzaga. So that's one team that, you're. yes, you're not getting the most of the value that you could have gotten in terms of during the regular season, but considering they're around the same price as they were before the season, I would at least consider it. I'm not going to bet it, but that would be the only team I would look at. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Um, I thought we'll talk about this a little later. I, I thought Colorado didn't show up. I think there's a little bit of an overreaction of Florida State because they beat a team who had probably the worst performance in the tournament. And Florida State had 24 points at the half. I mean, let's not throw a parade for the Seminoles here. They played better than Colorado in the second half, but I, you guys are higher and you have been higher on Florida State than me. I'm not. I could see them beating Michigan. I think they would have trouble with Alabama, and here's why: it's this thing we've been saying all year long: turnovers. Sooner or later, they're going to face a team that I thought Colorado would turn them over, but they actually turned over Colorado. So kudos to them. But I think Alabama is a bad matchup for Florida State. Reed, what what do you think about the Seminoles? Yeah, I mean, I have a Florida State future 28 to 1 to win it all. I'm kind of just sitting back and hoping it gets there, you know, and gets the final four if I get lucky enough. But I, I guess if there's a team out there, you mentioned USC, Florida State, those type of teams, I think, with a lot of size, because you have to think, who can beat Gonzaga, right? Like that's kind of this bet. You're betting on who's going to take down Gonzaga. Those are the teams with a lot of size that could switch down low and get on Timmy and also defend out on the perimeter. That's the bet you need to look for. So like you mentioned, USC, Florida State, if you want to throw darts on those, that's fine. But I just see no value in these right now. I, I personally think Gonzaga is going to end up winning it all. We did see that really quick. We did see that with Oklahoma when the Sooners hung around in the game for the first half. They were able to protect the rim and make Timmy uncomfortable. But then when the Zags controlled the pace in the second half, it was a different story. But let's get on to the Sweet 16 games and in the latter part of the first half. Uh, first matchup on Saturday is Loyola Chicago going up against Oregon State. Now at BetMGM, the odds board over with our friends, the King of Sportsbooks. MGM has this price at Loyola Chicago a six and a half point favor, total of 125 and a half. And Oregon State, the Beavers are plus 240 on the money line. To me, this line, and I have a tough time backing. 
I would have a tough time back in Oregon State, even though I can't bet the game myself because I'm in the state of Illinois. And, you know, dumbfoundedly, you can't bet on local teams. You can't bet on in-state teams. Tom can't even bet on a, a make a bet legally on college basketball in New York. So he is a bigger problem. But going back to the Illinois-Loyola matchup, I thought Crutwig was going to get abused by Kofi Coburn at both ends. That didn't happen. So even though Oregon State has some size down low, I have a t- I would have a tough time betting against Crutwig in this elite uh, Loyola Chicago defense that can blitz every single ball screen that you run, can pressure Ethan Thompson as good as he is with the ball in his hands. Yes, this line might be a little bit inflated, but I would stay away. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the problem I'm having in this game is I thought Loyola's win over Illinois was the most impressive win of the tournament. But Oregon State's win over Oklahoma State was probably the second most impressive. So they're both coming off very, very impressive wins. I think Oregon State would have been better served if this was a quick turnaround game because Loyola had the in-state rival, you know, the Illinois. They, they played with all that emotion, similar to Abilene Christian in Texas, right, where you're in-state. So I think maybe if that was a day later, I'd like Oregon State a little bit, but now that they've had the rest, it's hard to go against this Loyola Chicago team right now. They're they're playing so well on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I I wouldn't go near this game. I agree with what you said, Eli. Bit of an overreaction on the spread, but how is Oregon State breaking 55, 60 points? I mean, against Oklahoma State, I mean, they were on the ropes that early part of the second half. Oklahoma State, I think, cut it to four, and then they ran out of gas. The press was a little too much for them, but... Oregon State, they went 32 at 35 in that game. So, yes, they got to 80 points, but a lot of it was from the free throw line. It became a ref show at the end there. These two teams are both outside the top 300 in tempo. I think it's going to be an absolute grind, first to 60 type game. I'm staying away, but I do like the under a little bit here just because it's going to be such a slow, methodical game. And I think Oregon State's really going to struggle to put points on here. It's a good point. And I want to go back to Reed's free throw point, too. Oregon State is top 50 in scoring rate from the free throw line, and Loyola Chicago is top 10 in opponents scoring rate from the free throw line. So are the, is Oregon State going to get 35 free throw attempts in this game? Probably not. As good as Silva's been through the first couple games for Oregon State in the tournament, didn't miss a shot in the Tennessee first-round matchup, I, I agree. I think this is an under or pass. I'm going to completely pass on the game. Moving along to the next game on the board for the Sweet 16, at BetMGM, the odds are for Baylor and Villanova. Baylor a seven and a half point favorite, total of one forty and a half, and the Wildcats are plus two forty on the money line. Now, Tom has a write up for this game uh, on Baylor and Villanova. His best bet for Saturday's Sweet Sixteen matchups. You can check that out on Radio.com Sports and at BetQL and on the BetQL app. Tom, what say you about this matchup? I like Baylor a lot. Um, I think. You know, Ken Palm has this as a four-point game. Uh, Tom Palm's got it as about a 15-plus point game. Uh, I like that. Uh, this, to me, listen, Eli, you wrote, you, you sent out a tweet about Jay Wright and how his coaching performance. I agree 100%. I think he's done a hell of a job to get Villanova to this week 16 with everything they've gone through with injuries, with Gillespie. But this is where it ends. They are facing a different animal now in Baylor, and they don't match up well with them either. It's it's one thing if you face a different animal, but you match up kind of okay with them, and you might be able to keep it close. I mean, Baylor, the number one three-point shooting offense in the country. Villanova struggled to de- defend the perimeter all season long. Um, I think Baylor's guards are going to be the difference on both ends of the floor with uh, hitting outside shots and pressuring the ball on defense. 
I, this just, to me, this is a bad, bad matchup for Villanova. And they beat North Texas. They beat Winthrop, hat off to them. But it's going to be a rough day on Saturday. As much as those teams were both lesser tier opponents, obviously mid-major teams, Winthrop could pressure the ball. And as much as Justin Moore means to that offense without Gillespie on the floor, Villanova's offense was still ultra efficient. But Baylor is a major, obviously a high major program that is one of the best ball pressure teams in college basketball with those guards, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. Same thing with North Texas, a mid-major team that could hit threes and potentially expose that Villanova perimeter defense. But Baylor is an elite three-point shooting team. In fact, the best three-point shooting team in college basketball percentage-wise. And I also want to go back to Reed's point here really quick about Florida State. Like How you beat Gonzaga is high variance, right? You need that high variance for a team like an Alabama. Florida State also has high variance from three in a positive sense. One of the better three-point shooting teams in the country. And Baylor is right there with them. So if Baylor's hitting their threes like they should, Macy Oteague, one of the best perimeter shooters in college basketball, I'm with Tom, even though I'm not going to lay, lay it. Uh, this is a loot for Baylor. Yeah, I mean, it, you guys made all the points. This is a terrible matchup for Nova. You know, the lack of a true ball handler. Justin Moore's been stepping up. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he deserves credit. He's kind of been a pseudo point guard s thing. It's just, this is a bad matchup with Mitchell, Teague, Butler, that three-headed monster. I think that they're kind of going to blitz Nova. and Nova won't have a steadying force to handle it. You know, if you look at the first weekend they played Winthrop they were ahead most of the game North Texas they were ahead you know midway through the first they ended up pulling away if they fall behind I still don't know if they're going to be able to respond to a Baylor kind of haymaker and I didn't lay the spread I parlayed Baylor and we'll get to it with Houston money line it's like a minus 120 parlay on the minus 120 just to win the game this is just a bad matchup if I were to be in an against the spread pool or something I'd still take Baylor just again Against Wisconsin, this looked like a team that shook off the rust a little bit. They looked like the Baylor of old, and I think this is a romp here. Yeah. It, no, it's a good point because before the tournament started, Baylor was outside the top 40 in Ken Palm's mm-hmm. adjusted defensive efficiency. I, I want to go back to something Jay Wright said after the game on Sunday against North Texas. He mentioned guys off the bench like Slater and Brian Antoine that came up big defensively when Villanova was down by three in the first uh, first part of the first half of that game. Brian Antoine is not matching up well against this Baylor perimeter, even Adam Flagler off the bench. So I don't care how well this Villanova backcourt played off the bench and how well their backcourt played defensively throughout the rest of the game. Those two teams in Winthrop and, and North Texas, completely different as opposed to Baylor, who has get high-level guards that could take you off the dribble, speed you up, and hit threes. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement here. And, um, you know, I actually, uh, it's funny, I was uh, waiting for the line to come up at my local, and the second it came up, he had it at six for like 10 seconds, and, and I hit it hard. Uh, now it's up to seven, seven and a half. I think eight's probably a good cutoff point for this game. I, I wouldn't go much higher than that, even though I think Baylor's going to win easily. But uh, I get it now. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a ton of money coming in on Villanova. All right, over to the third game on the board for Saturday's Sweet 16 matchups. Arkansas against Oral Roberts. The Hogs are 11-point favorites on BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Total of 159. And Oral Roberts, the Golden Eagles are plus 425 on the money line. I went back and forth about this game. I wanted to bet Oral Roberts, then I didn't want to bet Oral Roberts. But the one thing, when not only from an offensive standpoint, we could hit on that obviously throughout the conversation about this game. The Golden Eagles are playing so much better defensively in the tournament, and their ability to switch on every ball screen against this Hogs team 
Like this is a completely different team defensively than what we saw in the regular season where yes, against Arkansas, they were up by five at the break, get outscored a bunch in the second half and lose that game. Still cover the closing line by lost the game by 11 or 12 points when these two teams matched up in non-conference play. They didn't hit their threes either in that game, which is an, an important note. But defensively, Oral Roberts is playing much better basketball. And when you could switch at every single position, it's going to create mismatches for the defensive team at that end of the floor. Yeah, and an interesting thing I think about this game is they've played already earlier in the season. So Arkansas beat them by 11, 87-76. Um, I think it helps Oral Roberts that they've already played them. Uh, you know, they can kind of look back and see what worked and what didn't work. But I do think that it's going to be a similar kind of game. I think they're not going to stop Arkansas. I don't think there's a person alive who thinks that they're going to shut down Arkansas at 65 points. So I think Oral Roberts is going to have to be efficient offensively. But I can see taking the 11 points here. Uh, that's a little bit high to me, uh, looking at this game that they played earlier in the season. So, And Oral Roberts, like you said, Eli, has played better defensively. Um, I do think Arkansas is going to pull away at some point in this in this game, though. Uh, I'm not going to lay it. I know Eli likes it. Reed, I think you are on the other side of this. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I kind of like Arkansas here. And one, I, there's one factor that I think is being a little overlooked. If you go back to the first game, yes, Oral Roberts got to lead, but Devontae Davis didn't play, their freshman guard. He played 37 minutes, I'm pretty sure, against Texas Tech and chased around Mac McClung all afternoon. Uh, so he's now in the rotation. He is a long 6'3 guard. He's going to be chasing around Max Aismas all, all day long. I think that that's not being factored in here. And looking at the rebounding margin, they out-rebounded him. Arkansas out-rebounded Oral Roberts 58-32 in the first matchup, 24-7 on the offensive glass. There's a pronounced rebounding disadvantage here for Oral Roberts. Yes, they could shoot. They could get hot from three and stay within the number. But to me, this is Arkansas winning. I don't see an upset here. And I actually lean towards the over. I think my play might be like an Arkansas team total over because I don't see how Oral Roberts keeps a lid on this offense. Arkansas wants to play at Oral Roberts' pace even faster than them. They're going to clean the glass. They have a guy who's going to be chased around Oral Roberts' best player. And I just see no upset here. I see Arkansas getting through, maybe not covering the spread, but getting through pretty easily. Minimal sweat there. Okay. I want to go back to your point about Oral Roberts. And I think you kind of overlooked a little bit. I, again, I get it. You said Arkansas is going to be able to rebound the ball against this team. And mm -hmm. I can't argue that point. Whatever the rebounding margin was that you mentioned, it's it was insane. Yeah. Astron astronomical insane. But going back to Arkansas's perimeter defense, giving up a bottom 100 opponent's three-point scoring rate. Or Roberts has had five days off in between the Florida win, obviously Ohio State two days before that, and then this game. Max Ace misses a high-level score. Mm -hmm. Like, you want to go back to the Colgate game that Tom almost lost his mind on in the first round? Colgate can score, but they're not as efficient with a, an elite-level score like a Max Ace miss or like an O'Banner that can carry you for stretches of a game. Same thing happened against Florida. They were down by double digits at, at a point in that game, and they, they were able to come back. If they're able to hit threes at their kind of a rate, the 10th highest uh, three-point scoring rate offensively, they can hang around in this game. And if Ace Miss is playing at the kind of a level, but we keep talking about, or I keep bringing it up, three-point variance. If Oral Roberts doesn't shoot well from three, they're probably getting blown out. Yeah. Which, which happened in the first matchup. 
it just they they still covered the the 19 and a half I think they were getting on the closing line. If they hit their threes, if they shoot about 35%, they cover this they cover this 11 11 and a half. Yeah, no uh, argument no arguments for me. And that's why I wouldn't bet the 11. That number's a bit out of reach for me and I'd look to an Arkansas team total over because that's where I see the advantage here. I see a lot of points being scored and Arkansas likely doing the heavy lifting in sc- the scoring department. So I'd stay away from the spread. I'd look more towards an over Arkansas team total over type of play. Yeah, what well, I'm going to – they don't have player props up yet, do they, Eli, on MGM? Not at MGM, but if you want to maybe tell people to shop around, what, what player prop would you be looking at? Uh, well, um, Justin Smith had uh, – had 17 rebounds in that game. Now, when BetMGM puts out a rebounding prop for Justin Smith, that uh, that might be around, let's say, seven and a half. I, I like over his rebounds if it's seven, eight, seven and a half, eight and a half. Because to Reed's point, I mean, listen, winner. I said this. I, I took his over points and over rebounds in the Colgate game. Win or lose. Smith is dominating the paint in this game. I think everybody agrees on that. Mm -hmm. So if you can get over rebounds for Justin Smith, uh, I'm going to have that one pretty big myself. I like that. If Connor Vanover plays a minute, because we don't know what the matchup is going to be. Yeah. O'Banner will wreck him offensively, especially in the pick and roll. That's where as, as good as Ohio State was, Obviously, their defense was trash, but that's what I was most impressed with in, the, in that game was Oral Roberts switching everything. And that, as, as bad as Ohio State is defensively, that is an elite offensive team with a high-level score in Dwayne Washington. And they look confused at times, especially after the first, let's say, 15 minutes of that game and into the second half when Oral Roberts was controlling the tempo, speeding them up, hitting threes, and blitzing ball screens, and again, switching everything defensively. So I think Oral Roberts is... A little underrated defensively coming into this game. And and Reed, I know you're saying Arkansas is better than that last matchup mm-hmm. when these two teams played. I think all Roberts is too, uh, to an extent, on the defensive end. Over to the last matchup on Saturday's Sweet 16 card. Houston against Syracuse. Uh, Houston all the way up to a seven-point favorite. And I say all the way up to seven because it was at six for pretty much all week. And then over the last 24 hours, it's bumped up to seven. Total of 140. And Q's is plus 240 on the money line. Reed, you're a Q's guy, kinda. Uh, I'll give you the honors for say on this game. Yeah, I mean, I was, I kind of willed Syracuse into the tournament. I'll take all credit. Nobody, Beheim, all Reed Wallet got them into the tournament, <laughs> much to Tom's dismay. But this is, I think, the road ends here for the Orange. I think that this is a really, really bad matchup. Um, I mean, it's not rocket science, but Houston, second nationally in offensive rebounding rate. Syracuse, 340th in defensive rebounding rate. This is going to be, you know, Houston's going to shoot threes with Cuse, but ultimately Houston's going to get 20 more opportunities in Syracuse. And Eli, to your point about three-point variance, if they're going to shoot 20% from three and miss everything, then sure, Syracuse can win. But if Houston's shooting well from three, which they typically do, they're – an above average three point shooting team. I don't have the numbers up, but if they're shooting just average from three, they're going to get more opportunities to score and simply just outscore Syracuse because Syracuse's three point rate is up to 58% in the tournament. So more than half of their attempts are coming from beyond the arc. Now they're three or they live and die by the three. And I think ultimately this is a nightmare for them against Houston on Saturday. Tom, what about you? 
Yeah, the well, we would have had a nice uh, little rant here if Syracuse blew that lead against West Virginia, like I thought they were going to at one point in that game. But I I agree with Reed's assessment of the rebounding. The, the, the two metrics I like to look at the most throughout the season are, you know, I always talk about turnover in Florida State. Texas turns the ball over some, they're home. The other is uh, defensive rebounding. Because sooner or later in the tournament, you're going to meet a team that's going to exploit that weakness. And for me, this is the team. Uh, Houston, like Reed said, is number two in offensive rebounding. Syracuse, 340th. That's where they really struggle. So I see the gang rebounding of Houston on the offensive glass. Unless they're ice cold from the outside, I think they win and cover this number. If you go back to the West Virginia game, Syracuse started out hot, right? Buddy Beha maybe hit a three. Gerard hit a couple threes in that game. Gurrier had a couple big plays around the basket. So did Dolajai. That guy's the new Perry Ellis of college basketball. Just insane how long it feels like he's been around for. I, I wrote this up in the article that if Houston and Dejan Giroux, if Giroux looks healthy, you're probably looking at a live bet for me if Houston is somewhere around a pick. So even if Hughes goes up like that first game, like that uh, game last week against West Virginia, if Giroux looks good at the point and as a shooter too with that hip injury, I'll probably bet Houston live at some point, no matter how that game starts off. But, Reed, you also mentioned Houston's three-point shooting, top 60 in three-point scoring rate. Syracuse is, has a bottom 30 uh, opponent's three-point scoring rate. And we saw that against West Virginia in the second half. Once the Mountaineers started to flex their muscle on the glass and kind of get back into the game, now Sean McNeil's range is ridiculous. But they got a lot of good three-point looks, and so did McBride, uh, West Virginia's point guard. So if Houston can play at their pace, if, if Jarreau can hit shots, if Mack can get to the rim and transition, if Justin Gorham, who's one of the best rebounders in college basketball, is able to create second-chance opportunities off those three-point misses like you guys mentioned, Houston's blowing out Syracuse no matter how the game starts. Derek Culver is such a different animal. I mean, Huggins had to bench Culver and put Osaboy in for a lot of that second half. Justin Gorham is a completely different player. The start doesn't matter as much to me as how Jarreau looks health-wise. Yeah, and just my last point, I mean... San Diego State, 15 offensive rebounds. West Virginia, 19 offensive rebounds. And what really sunk West Virginia in the round of 32 were the turnovers, like just inexplicably just throwing it out of bounds turnovers. Houston, top 15 um, offensive turnover rate. So they limit their turnovers. This is a really good Houston team. I mean, I think that this is a serious step up in class for Syracuse, not to mention just a nightmare matchup. So, Again, I'm on Houston. I parlayed them with Baylor. That's a minus 120 parlay. So I'm saving the spread there. But again, I think Houston has the recipe to really open this up and win big just because of such a matchup advantage on the glass. One last quick thing on the game for me too is Houston has seen the zone in conference play. And it's completely different than a 2-3 Jim Beheim zone in the tournament. I get that. But if you can get the ball to Fabian White around the free throw line, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good mid-range jump shot to kind of suppress that Syracuse zone. So a food for thought there in terms of what Syracuse is bringing to the table defensively, as opposed to what West Virginia had, which is a guy in Derek Culver that checked out of the game in the first half. Just bizarre. Over to the Sunday card of the Sweet 16, starting off with Creighton and Gonzaga at BetMGM. Our friends over at BetMGM, you could use the promo code ELI600 and get a uh, risk-free bet up to $600 with the promo code Eli 600. That's for your first bet over at BetMGM using that promo code. Gonzaga, 13 point favorite, total of 158. Creighton is plus 650 on the money line. The only way I'm touching this game, and Tom and I 
hit on it earlier over the phone. Only chance I'm taking the Blue Jays, not going to lay the points, is a first half angle. Like we saw with Oklahoma. Now they didn't cover first half, but they were down by 12 at the break. Uh, first half line was nine and a half. If Creighton starts out hot, if Zagorowski's hitting shots, if Ballack's hitting shots, the other problem too I have taken a Creighton full game is beyond just the athleticism part and beyond Creighton having really no rim protection and no defensive bigs athletically to match up against Timmy, Creighton is not a good free throw shooting team. So down the stretch in the game, that could hurt the Blue Jays if they're hanging around 13. Tom, what about you? Uh, what are you thinking for this game? Yeah, I was actually thinking about taking Creighton for like eight minutes. And then I just had this vision of the game starting and me saying, what the hell did I do? That just got, I, I, the line looks appealing. Uh, you want to you take that number. But you look back, Creighton just beat an Ohio team. I know we both liked Ohio, but they're still a mid-major. So they, they, they faced two mid-major teams so far. This is going to be a massive, massive step up. And Creighton has had trouble sometimes against tougher opponents this year. I got a feeling Gonzaga, my, my gut tells me a lot of people are going to take the points here. Uh, not a lot of people, but some, some smarter people are going to take the points here with Creighton. And this could get ugly in the second half. Reed. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about beating Gonzaga before to me, three key things you need to beat Gonzaga. You need to be able to turn them over. You need to be able to rebound well, and you need to be able to shoot free throws. Well, Creighton does none of those. They, they are out there bottom third nationally in all of those metrics. So they have a potent offense. They can't keep up with Gonzaga. Again, both offenses like to run inside the top 50 in pace, offensive pace, that is. So short possessions, quick hitting threes. Maybe a look to the over. It's kind of high, 158, I think you said. But if there's a look there, it's to the over. I'm not getting involved with the spread. Um, yeah, Creighton's just not they're, – they're not winning, and I think they're going to struggle to keep it within 13 and a half. I don't want to call this an overreaction in the line because, I mean, Gonzaga's, the market's always going to favor Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. But Creighton and Ohio, the Bobcats had really tired legs throughout that entire game. You saw it at the free throw line. Ohio missed a ton of free throws at the beginning of that game in the first half. And then Creighton took over in the latter part of the first half. Ohio made a mini comeback, but that was all she wrote for the Bobcats. Jason Preston also was very inefficient as opposed to the way he played in the latter part of that second half against Virginia. So I think... I mean, you're not. You're definitely not getting a discount on Creighton. Creighton maybe played a tighter game against Ohio, and Ohio covered that line. Maybe this line is 14 and a half, like Oklahoma. Oklahoma has better rim protection and more athleticism up front, and probably a more efficient score. Zigarowski can score in bunches. Don't get me wrong. So could Balak, but they're both kind of inconsistent. Austin Reeves in Big 12 play and on is was one of the more efficient scores in college basketball. So I don't really know if Creighton has. From an, from an efficient standpoint, that go-to score that they can rely on to keep this thing within 13 points down the stretch. This isn't the team to bet against Gonzaga. Let's just say that. Like, the, If you want to bet against the Zags, maybe there's a team coming up. This isn't it. Yep. Over to the next matchup on the card, a bet that Reed and I both have is Florida State and Michigan. This one at 5 p.m. Eastern uh, on Sunday, Sweet 16 matchup in the East region. Michigan, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 143-and-a-half. The Seminoles are plus 120 on the money line. Two key factors in this game. Obviously, Isaiah Levers, and I'll get to that in a second. But Michigan does not turn you over. So despite Florida State having 30 turnovers in their first two games against Greensboro and against Colorado, so to Tom's point from earlier, Colorado did turn Florida State over 15 times, but they just couldn't capitalize and, and play at their pace and 
and speed Florida State up a little bit. If, if Florida State doesn't turn the ball over, which they shouldn't, Michigan doesn't pressure the ball really, and Florida State turns over Michigan, which they should, because without livers on the floor, it puts the ball in Mike Smith's hands a little bit more. He is one of the higher turnover rates in college basketball, above 25%. Michigan offensively, and especially defensively without livers, but offensively can't lift the floor as well. It's putting the ball in the hands of Eli Brooks and, and Smith, who I mentioned, who have their fair share of turnover problems. If Florida State turns over Michigan, gets to the rim and transition, can speed them out too. I mean, those wings in Barnes and Polite can turn you over a ton like we saw against Colorado. That's the key to the game. It always comes down to tempo typically in every single tournament matchup, especially. I think Florida State wins this game, but I'll take the two and a half. Yeah, I know you, you and Reed both like Florida State, like I said, more than I do. I, I do understand the point about um, not turning them over. That That's definitely in play here. This looks like a dead-even game to me. I, I see this one going right down to the wire. I think it's going to be pretty entertaining. I don't lean either side. But again, the only thing I'll say is I was a little bit impressed with Michigan. I thought LSU really brought it in. Uh, I was impressed the way they held off that offense and, and were able to win that game. And I'll just say it again. I thought Florida State got a dead Colorado team. I mean, imagine imagine the Pac-10 going 95 and one, and me picking the one. I mean, you can't make that crap up, can you? But uh, I, I think this is going to be an interesting game. Reed, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I mean, Eli made a lot of great points that I had written down. You know, the turnover margin is that's a big deal. You know, you need to maximize your possessions, and that's kind of been my gripe with Michigan. They don't necessarily turn you over, but the real kind of matchup edge I see for Florida State is they can switch one to five. So they're going to have a body on Hunter Dickinson at all times, but also a capable wing defender on the undersized Eli Brooks and um, Smith also. So I think that Florida State could give this Michigan offense some trouble. And to your point, Tom, that Michigan LSU game, that was high level basketball, both sides. Like that was arguably the most well-played game of the tournament. But to me, Florida State they are much more disciplined defensively than LSU, and I think that they can exploit Michigan's lack of wing de- wing defense, get to the rim, maybe get to the line, maybe get Dickinson some foul trouble. I just see some serious edges for Florida State here to take the two and a half. I think they win this game outright as well. But if Michigan won, they're a great team. You know, Even without Livers, it's still a great team, and they proved it against LSU. I just see some edges to make me want to bet Florida State. One point that stood out to me that you said, Reed, uh, going back to the LSU-Michigan game, Michigan had a ton of open looks from three for Smith and Eli Brooks in the second half. That is one of the worst defensive teams in college basketball in LSU. They looked out of it at times, just not communicating well, giving up open looks on the perimeter on second chance opportunities, especially to Shawn D. Brown. Who, is Shawn D. Brown going to shoot like that again? No. Is Eli Brooks going to have a career day again? No. Now you could say back at you with Florida State. Is Polite going to shoot like that from three? Probably not. But Florida State also probably maxed out its worst defensive game, worst three-point shooting game of the tournament in the Greensboro matchup in the first round when they went 0-9 from three. Now they're not the 41% three-point shooting team that they were at times in conference play or for much of conference play. But if again, if Florida State can control the tempo, if Koprovica can match up against Dickinson, which he should, this Florida State team will give you fits with that athleticism. Raekwon Gray as well. If, if Koprovica and Gray stay out of foul trouble, that's the key also to Florida State defensively. Control the glass. Not the best defensive rebounding team, but that athleticism can get, still give you fits. 
turn Michigan over, get to the rim, keep Gray and Koprovitz out of foul trouble, and Florida State probably wins this game. That's the that's the point I was going to bring up, though. One of the things that disappoints me about this team is how poorly they are defensive rebounding with their size down low. I mean, this team got out-rebounded by Notre Dame, for Christ's sakes. So I do think sometimes they're, they're – they're, I don't know if it's an effort issue or what, on the, but, you know, North Carolina really beat them down, and I know they have size, but so does Michigan. So that would be something I would look for in that game. Um, because if you keep giving Michigan with their size and their shooters second chance points, that's going to be an issue for the Seminoles. Reed, any last thoughts on the game? No, I mean, again, I like Florida State. I've been on them for a few months now since their second COVID pause. I've been on them. So I think that when the bracket came out, I was pumped about this matchup. I was looking forward. I said, okay, Florida State matches up as well with Michigan than any other of the one seed. So I'm. this was a bet I had circled. When the bracket came out, I'm ready to get in there. One last point on the game is Michigan, even if they don't rely on Dickinson, some might say, okay, you have Franz Wagner. Scotty Barnes off the bench might be a, a, a really tough matchup for Wagner. I know he's a freshman, so that's why I kind of held off there. But his length and his ability to force turnovers against Wagner, who can be kind of loose with the ball at times, that's how much Livers means to this offense. Not just He's not the best with the ball in his hands, but just a reliable guy on the wing or a guy you could dump it down to around the free throw line, elbow, around the block, you lose a lot of that offensively and you lose kind of confidence, especially with guys that aren't great handling the basketball on every possession. Over to the third matchup on Sunday, Sweet 16 card, Alabama and UCLA. Alabama, six and a half point favorite, total of 145 and a half, and the Bruins are plus 200 on the money line. I'm not going to lay it, but this is where, to me, UCLA's luck runs out. Now, yeah, you kind of want to say luck. Were they going to be Texas if they matched up? If Texas got by Abilene Christian in the first round? Probably not. You come back against Michigan State, an impressive comeback, don't get me wrong, but they were down for much of that game. Alabama's three-point shooting against a UCLA team that has relied on Juzang, and you put Herb Jones, one of the best three, one of the best uh, defenders in college basketball and three-point defenders, perimeter defenders, against Juzang. It is a tough matchup for UCLA. I think Alabama's defense wins out first and foremost. They uh, control the pace from there. W- what say you, Tom? Yeah, <laughs> I'm on. I'm really on the fence about taking Alabama here. I, I want to lay the points like you said because I look at who UCLA beat in this tournament: Michigan State, who I think is absolute trash; BYU, who flat out didn't show up. I'm telling you, they play that game again tomorrow. There's no way UCLA holds BYU to 62 points. Did not show up. And then my Abilene Christian team had nothing left in the tank. We discussed this, Eli, about Abilene Christian. I mean, that game against Texas was so emotional. I, I was on the edge of my seat sweating. I wasn't even playing. So they simply had nothing left in the tank. And as you pointed out, Eli, they, UCLA also doesn't turn the ball over. So Abilene Christian didn't get those easy buckets they got against Texas. This is a whole different story. Um, I, I know Alabama looked as well as they're ever going to look. Because when Alabama's hitting threes like they were against Maryland, that's the best, the, the, the best version of Alabama. But... I agree. I think UCLA's had a nice run here. I kind of like them at the end of the year, the way they were playing. But this is a bad matchup for them. I think Alabama is able to turn them over a little bit more than UCLA does turn it over, get some transition points. And if their threes are going down similar as last game, they're going to cover this six, six and a half points. Yeah, I I don't have a feel for this one just because I'm not as high on Alabama like you guys are. I mean, I look at... You know, a few metrics that stuck out to me were UCLA, the way they're able to protect the ball, and that was kind of the downfall for Abilene. They were not turning over UCLA. And like you guys said, 
Texas game. That's how Abilene scored most of their points. And also just the battle of pace. I mean, UCLA, 337th in tempo, Alabama 12th. So, you know, definitely a game within the game is who's controlling the tempo. Is Bama playing the half court or are they running and gunning? I think in the first 10 minutes, you're going to know what kind of game this is going to be. Is this game going to go down to the wire and UCLA hangs around or is Bama going to blitz them and run them off the floor? Ultimately, I have no interest in betting this game. I just said, I, I do agree with you though, Reed. I think the first 10 minutes of this game is huge for UCLA. Mm-hmm. If, if they get down, they're not coming back with the way they play offensively. And once Alabama gets mm-hmm. their going. So I think at, at that 10 minute mark, they got to be closer, have the lead, or it's, you know, maybe live betting Alabama there because I think it's only going to get worse if they fall behind early. Yeah. One thing to watch for, or go ahead, Reed. No, that was just my angle. Like if Juzang and Hawkes, if they start out hot and, but they're running and gunning, UCLA is going to run out of gas. They're running out of short team. They're banged up. And you don't want to get into a track meet with Alabama. They will run you off the floor. To me, UCLA is going to have to keep this at a snail's pace. But to that point, if Hawkes go, you know, scores a quick five, Oates will adjust and put Herb Jones on him because Jones can guard pretty much one through five. Same thing with Juzang. Mm-hmm. So I, Jones does get in foul trouble from time to time. He has a tough time stopping in the lane when he's driving to the basket and picks up a, an offensive foul here or there. So that is something to watch for. The other injury to watch for in this game is Jordan Bruner, who didn't play against Maryland. Oates said it was a matchup thing. He wanted to match him up against Galen Smith, and Galen Smith played three minutes, so Bruner didn't play. Bruner did not look good on that knee in the SEC tournament. That was part of the reason why I didn't really like Alabama to come out of the region. But they did get Primo back in that in that uh, Maryland game. He played a few minutes off the bench. So that's a big piece for Alabama, not really for this game. I don't think they'll uh, need him too much. But for down the road in the tournament, UCLA, though, giving up a, a bottom 100 opponent's three-point scoring rate. So if Alabama's hitting their threes, which we've hit on throughout this conversation, Alabama's going to blow them out. And I, I think they will. I don't know if they hit what they did against Maryland, shooting over 50%, but they should be able to have a big day from three against this UCLA defense if they're controlling the pace. Last game on the Sunday card to hit on is another big one. Uh, USC, another Pac-12 team, a two-point favorite over the third Pac-12 team on this card. A total in this game is 137.5, and the Ducks are plus 115 on the money line. Reed, I'll give you the honors because you have a bet on this game. Yeah, I mean, you guys made fun of me selection Sunday. I had all these bets in. I only have three in for uh, the second weekend. So this is one of them. US or Oregon plus two and a half. I think that they can win this game outright. And there's a lot of angles pointing me to Oregon. First, I think that this is an overreaction to the USC Kansas game. If you play that Oregon Iowa game where Oregon absolutely dismantled Iowa, who's better than Kansas. If you play that game in the primetime slot and USC Kansas plays at noon, this game is flipped. Oregon's probably favored or it's a pick So this game opened at one. It jumped to two and a half. That's where I got in. And people are going to say, okay, USC has this. Look at what they did to Oregon in their last game. Well, that was the fifth game in 11 days for Oregon. Third of the weekend, I believe, or a weekend stretch. And Oregon fell behind 15-0. A poor USC team shot the lights out and the game was over. And Eli, I know you had Oregon in that game. And Oregon, they fell behind by 15 They were never getting back into it. They had no legs. In this game, though, I think uh, the Oregon defense is going to be able to limit a poor shooting USC team. This was an outlier game against Kansas and also a poor free throw shooting team in USC. They shoot 64% from the free throw line. So I see an Oregon offense that is really starting to peak with Will Richardson and Duarte. 
I think that this USC team may have peaked in that Kansas game while this Oregon team is still running up. They've won 12 of 14 with one of that one of those losses being to USC and the other to Oregon State in the Pac-12 title game or Pac-12 semifinals rather. So I think this is the perfect storm to get Oregon at over a possession. And I think they win this game. I definitely lean that way. I know Tom is a bet on it, but I just really want to uh, hit on something you brought up in the last game. Taj Eady hit two or three threes in the first few minutes, four minutes, maybe before the media timeout in that game. Peterson was hitting threes. Oregon could not set up in that two-three zone press and also just press three quarters of the court, not only in the half court. So if, if Oregon can get off to a better start and they're playing their second game in what, a week and a half plus, maybe a week in just under two weeks or about two weeks, that is an insane amount of prep time for Dana Altman to adjust from the last time these two teams played just in terms of the start in that game, uh, let alone Oregon hitting threes. But I know, Tom, you have bet on this one too. Yeah, and I agree with Reed about the Iowa game. Like People know I'm no Iowa fan, but if you didn't watch that game, Iowa actually played pretty well. I mean, Oregon was just phenomenal in that matchup. And I know it was the noon game and some people didn't see it, as Reed pointed out. If you put that in prime time, it, maybe this is, line's a little bit different. Now, you know, I had a pretty good first four days. The one mistake I made and I was kicking myself for because I liked it and didn't take it was the USC game. Uh, that game kind of played out the way I thought it would. You know, Kansas has had COVID issues. That they, 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 I thought they were a little bit lucky to beat Eastern Washington, to be honest. They started hitting threes there for a 10-minute span and kind of separated. But I, I like Oregon to win this game. I this was a team I think early in the season people thought were was as talented as most in the country. And they had a lot of injuries, COVID stuff. They've never really been together in, uh, before the last month of the season where Reed said they've won 12 out of 14. This is a dangerous Ducks team. I know everybody saw USC beat what I don't think was nearly 100% Kansas team. And let's be honest, a Kansas team that overachieved this year. We talked about Jay Wright. How about Bill Self for turning that team around? This isn't the most talented Kansas team. So I think this is going to be a competitive game, going to be a close game. Give me Dana Altman. Give me the Oregon Ducks healthy. I think they win, and then they play the Zags. And who knows? Maybe maybe I like them against the Zags. Two things. Chris Duarte, like you mentioned the Kansas game, Tom. Kansas cannot match up against that USC zone. No. They don't have the consistent shooting. You want to go zone against Oregon? They will hit threes all day. And you think about USC's three uh, perimeter defense, they're, they're a bottom 90. Uh, they allow a bottom 90 opponent's three-point scoring rate. Oregon has a top 100 three-point scoring rate. I know they hit a ton of threes against Iowa, but Iowa also gives up a ton of threes on a consistent basis. If USC wants to play man-to-man, and Oregon, again, is not pressing offensively because they get down early like they did against USC the first time around, Oregon's wings will beat you off the dribble, especially with Duarte going up against, yes, a solid on-ball defender in Peterson. But if Duarte was on Duke, we're talking about if he was healthy, he, he went to one Naismith this year because of Garza, but in that conversation, a guy that is, is, is an elite offensive score. Same thing with Omar Rui. He was at Rutgers, and we kind of saw him flash against Iowa, especially in transition. If Oregon's able to push the tempo in this game, I know USC wants to do the same thing. But if Oregon is able to press a little bit, use that matchup zone and expose USC off the dribble, or if they want to go zone, Oregon will shoot right past it. I, I agree. I think Florida State and Oregon are both very live to win their respective games. Yeah, and just one more point. I mean, if you look at that Iowa-Oregon game, 
Oregon basically said, Luca Garza is going to get his. He's going to eat. He's getting, I think he finished with 36. And Luca Garza played great. No one else really did anything. You know, the Oregon zone did its job on everyone. And they said, okay, Luca Garza, go do your thing. We're going to shut down everyone else. If they do that with Evan Mobley, because Oregon isn't the most, isn't the biggest team. So they might be a little outmatched with Evan Mobley. They might say, go do your thing, Mobley. Like you go get 25, 30, whatever you got to do. But we're going to shut down Tajidi. We're going to shut down your brother, Isaiah. We're going to do everything else. And then we're going to get Duarte, Richardson, Figueroa, all those guys going on the offensive end. And again, I mean, I've been on this Oregon team for a while now, and I think that this is a great matchup for them. I would also go as far as saying it's a little bit of a, I don't want to say coaching mismatch, but who is the advantage on the sidelines, Enfield or, or Dana Altman? People were concerned about Oregon coming out flat. I know Altman said he was too after not playing a first-round game, but didn't matter for the Ducks against Iowa. Eli, you're making a good point there that one of the reasons I, I didn't bet Oregon against Iowa was because I was concerned about that. But, but they looked sharp. So I, you got to give Altman credit there. I, I'd give the edge to him. Yeah. I think we're all going to end up on Oregon. You guys are both on Oregon. I'll probably end up on the Ducks. If I could somehow get a two and a half again, because there's a little bit of juice at, at MGM on USC. So if I can get a, a two and a half, I'll probably be on the Ducks. And of course, BetQLU is presented by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Bet up to $600 risk-free and open up a BetMGM account using bonus code ELI600 in your first bet is totally risk-free up to $600. And we're, of course, brought to you by BetQL, first ever college basketball betting podcast sponsored by BetQL. Uh, helps you beat the sportsbooks. Their team rankings left in the Sweet 16, by the way. Gonzaga, Houston, Loyola, Chicago, Baylor, Alabama, Arkansas, Michigan, USC, Oregon, Creighton, Florida State, Villanova, UCLA, Syracuse, Oral Roberts, and Oregon State. So just some food for thought there when you're looking to maybe use your own projections or use BetQL's projections. And you could sign up with BetQL over our over at our friends at BetQL and get their official uh, five and four-star plays for the Sweet 16. Guys, really fun show. I think we capped it under an hour for the first time ever. So props to us. Yeah, and uh, just quick. I've seen Justin Smith's rebounds around nine. That's an official play. Give me over Justin Smith. He'll get double-digit rebounds. All right, Reed, any last words? No, let's just have a successful weekend. Hopefully it's like the first weekend, but no Colorado bets in there. Everything else the same. Damn, Reed talking smack. I like it. (laughs) Tom can't respond. I'm not going to let him respond, even if he wants to. He is Tom Casale on Twitter at the Tom Casale. Reed Wallach at Reed Wallach on Twitter. I am at my name and last name, at Eli Herskovich. Thanks for checking out another edition of the BetQLU podcast, sponsored by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks.